and as a child you you know when you grow up in an environment like Gloria Vale, you tend to absorb all the wrong in the world around you as there being something wrong with yourself mm-hmm. when in fact it's the environment outside of you that's not good enough for you. What's up everyone? Welcome to the Life Livers Academy. I'm Jamie O'Donnell and the purpose of this podcast is to connect you with the people, ideas, mindsets and inspiration to empower you to chase your dreams, unlock your potential and live life to the fullest each day. Get ready for some inspiring conversations and incredible insights from people who are out there living life, having fun and dominating their chosen path. I appreciate you tuning in. Now let's get this episode underway. Rightio guys, welcome back to another episode of the Life Livers Academy podcast. As always, super excited to bring you another episode uh, and I've got a fantastic guest joining me on the show today. Now her name is Lilia Taroa and if you're not familiar with Lilia's story, she is a writer, a speaker, a businesswoman. Uh, She's the author of the book Daughter of Gloria Vale. She is a TEDx speaker and her TED talk went viral online. I think it's amassed over 10 million views on YouTube alone. Uh, because she's got such a unique story. So Lilia grew up in a religious cult called Gloria Vale, which uh, is based on the west coast of the South Island of New Zealand. And her grandfather was actually the founder of Gloria Vale. So she spent the first 18 years of her life there growing up in a religious cult with her family. Uh, And when she was about 18 years old, her and her family decided to leave and start life fresh outside of the cult. So uh, you can imagine there's just a magnitude of challenges that come with leaving, let alone starting a completely new life. Um, So it's going to be a fascinating chat. And, you know, Lillian now uses her passion and her expertise and her story um, to help other people find their power, courage and purpose. Um, It's obviously a really unique story. And with that comes a unique set of wisdom that I'm really looking forward to tapping into today. So just want to say, Lillian, thank you so much for giving up your time and I'm excited to dive in and have a chat. Kia ora thanks for having me. I didn't even need to send you a bio. You had that down. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> I've been practicing all morning. <laughs> hey, I guess um, there's so much to your story. Like I was doing a bit of research and um, I watched some of your stuff online and I've followed your story for a while mm. now. Yeah. I guess you've got to start at the start to give context to anyone who's not uh, familiar with your story. What my first question is just straight to the point. Can you talk to me about what it was like growing up in Gloria Vale? Um, it's something that you know now you talk about true self expression and purpose yeah. and freedom, all these topics yeah. that I am assuming you didn't have much of, you know, in your childhood. And it's also something that we many of us will find fascinating, but we can't really relate to to that situation. Yeah. So, can you give some context to what it was like growing up in that environment? Yeah. Um. Well, for those of you who aren't um, familiar with it, um. Gloria Vale is a religious cult on the west coast of New Zealand. Obviously, this is a New Zealand podcast, but if we've got any international friends and whānau tuning in, um, that's just to give you guys some context. But it's really nice to be on this podcast today talking with the New Zealand community also, um, close to my heart, being a Kiwi girl born and bred, west coaster, (laughs) grew up on a farm. Um, But yeah, as Jamie said, I grew up in the Gloria Vale religious cult. And it was founded by my grandfather. Um, So what was it like? Um, There were lots of rules, like about how I had to be and how I could live my life. So I lived in one bedroom with my entire family. And to give you context, I have nine siblings. (laughs) And that was on a hostel floor where there was about probably about 15, 12 to 15 other families. And they all had one room each. And then we had a communal lounge area. 
um, I dressed in full-length dress um, uniform. It, we believed in modesty um, and also a head covering for women to show submission to God and men. Um, so I wore that every day of my life. And um, I went to school in the Glory of Our School. So they have trained teachers. They're registered with the government um, as a registered school. And um, I had breakfast, lunch, and dinner in the mess hall, communal mess hall, with 500 other people on most days. And um, pretty much then my work was like um, consisted of cooking, cleaning, domestic duties, for women because there's very strict gender roles within Gloria Vale um, and duties for men consisted of, you know, the farm duties, um, the stereotypical, this is a guy's job kind of thing, which is, you know, it's a shame I even have to say that and you all know what I mean, right? exactly what you mean. Yeah. um, But luckily I uh, early on showed a bit of a talent for um, web design and development. So I ended up being able to not do some, so many of the domestic chores and I worked as a graphic designer for the companies that Gloria Val runs and they've got quite a few. Um, so I was able to get out of that work, thank God. <laughs> um, a little bit. But yeah, um, you know, everything about my life was controlled from the way I did my hair. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup. Women shouldn't wear pants. Um, this is the food you're allowed to eat. There was also like days where we were forced to go without food um, as religious fasting. And um, there was, uh, you know, my grandfather's vision for that church was that it would be the way that Jesus taught in the New Testament that he wanted people to live. And that was where my grandfather started. But it, over the years, got more and more controlling Um you know, down to like the color underwear that you're allowed to use wow. and um, how much toilet paper you could use in the toilets, like how many squares you were allowed to use. Everything was rationed out, which is, you know, how they also managed to afford their living. Um, so like a woman or a, would receive a certain grams of butter for breakfast. Oh, um, and, you know, we didn't really have sweet food much, um, There were a few nights we'd have like desserts, but then you got a special treat on like a Friday night, which was movie night for the community. And that treat would be like a donut or a cookie or something. And, you know, you might get three for the men, two for the women, one for children. Yeah. Um, So that was like the rations. And then the videos that we watched were all heavily edited. And I was about to say, how much is that controlled? Because even when you were saying like web development and stuff like that, I was like, oh, I wasn't aware yeah. that you even had that level of access, but I'm taking that there's control mm. over everything like that as well. There's a huge amount of control. So they obviously have like the IT guy who looks over all of the information coming in and out. Um, it's only what you need for work purposes. Um, and, you know, with say videos, it's these entire scenes and storylines cut out and changed. Far out. Um, so that, you know, they don't want any sort of, kissing or um or anything erotic very conservative christian um and anything that misaligns with their belief systems Mm. um i like i definitely remember they didn't like us they liked us learning about evolution in terms of evolution is not real god created the world so you can learn about evolution because it's so sinful and you need to know how terrible the world is yeah um yeah no tv no radios no cell phones um 
and monitored access to internet. Yeah. And, and so as a kid there, I mean, like, are you, how aware of how things function on the outside world are you? Like, do you have, is there, is there like that, that curiosity there where you yeah. know that there's something else or is it so, so controlled that you literally don't know another world outside of that? You don't know. Like you basically, you're living in a bubble. Like, um, you you hear what you're allowed to hear. You're told what they want you to hear. The leaders, that is, um, the the glory of our council. They're called the servants and the shepherds. Um, and so it's very limited information. You're the way you only know what's in Gloryvale. Like mm. for me, that was it's completely normal for me. I didn't know what I didn't know. It's so interesting, like, because I think naturally now, you know, Gloria Vale's got a lot more attention uh, and mm. and people naturally think that um, obviously it would be like it's a horrible time, but there's got to be, there's good yeah. times as well, you know, like you have all your friends and your family around you and that, like, yeah. you as a child, was it enjoyable for you? Were you, were you suffering through that? Like, can you explain like what was going on for you internally? Yeah. Um, I, in so many ways, I loved glory, growing up in Gloria Vale. Um, it's like, it's because it's so contrasted, like when it's bad, it's really bad. And when it's good, it's really good. Yeah, right. Like the relationships that you're able to build with your friends, but in the people there, because th- that those 500 people, are the only people that you interact with. Mm. So, you know, everything about their lives. Um, and the the relationships are built on a, on their Christian faith, which is um, about a common goal, a common mission. You call each other brother and sister. Like I used to call my best friend Sister Grace, right. um, and that's how we'd address each other. Or like you know, brother Nathaniel. That's how we talk to each other. And you would consider them to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. So you're like a family within mm. a religion slash church community. Um, and that was that part of it. I loved, like, I love the relationships. Uh, I also really enjoyed like the outdoors activities that we did, like growing up on a farm, you know, I was climbing trees from <laughs> when I was like a tot, like my childhood hobby was tree climbing. If I could climb higher than the boys and their, their trees that no one else could apparently climb, then I, you know, I could live a happy life. Yeah. <laughs> You'd clocked um, Gloria though. Yeah. <laughs> so those parts were, yeah, really, really great. Yeah. What about on the adversity side of things? Like, I mean, I, there's one pivotal moment that I remember from watching your TED talk, which is where you talked about uh, your grandfather humiliating you and mm. at a really pivotal moment where you were, you were demonstrating some leadership qualities and, you know, things that are usually praised in the outside world, but yeah. quite a different story in Gloria Vale. Definitely. Um, so Gloria Vale has a, well, in the Christian belief system, they believe spare the rod, spoil the child. So, you know, right from the get-go, like, we know that smacking children is abusive. Um, but it was used as a normal form of punishment with parents for their children for many years. But, you know, Gloria Bell is very old-fashioned. I was raised that way, and it affected me really badly. Mm. Um, but I saw, it, I saw it being used, you know, I've, I've had friends too who said, oh, my parents smacked me, and I it didn't bother me. Um, I think in that environment, it was, it was not just a smacking. It was a lot of different things. Um, there was like, you know, I watched a boy, you know, children being marched up in front of the entire community at dinner 
and marched onto the stage and forced to face the wall and go without food because they'd been disobedient. Mm. And um, I watched a boy being you know, just badly bashed by his teacher at um, a soccer game. And I watched babies because you know my grandfather didn't like the sound of children crying, babies crying. So tiny little babies that can't talk, I watched them being suffocated until their faces were blue because they weren't being quiet. Oh, um, wow. You know, so you've got these kids growing up in this like horrific environment, um, being forced to uh, fast for religious fasting. So I, I was forced to go days without food and I hated it. Like I was always like, I was hungry. Um, and on the days we didn't have to fast, I got enough food, but there were just these practices in place where like I was forced to do these things I didn't want to do. Um, there are arranged marriages as well. So mm. a lot of, you know, people were being forced to marry other people that they didn't want to marry. Um, and that was one of sort of the, you know, the final tipping points for me because my, one of my best friends, um, she was being forced to marry a um, a man from India that she didn't want to marry. And she was like, I can't do this. And I said, you've got to leave. You've got to run away. And in giving her permission to do that, because I knew it wasn't right for her and I loved her, it sort of got me questioning, well, you know, I should be willing to do these same things for myself too. Mm. Um, and I don't want my little sisters, you know, because I'm the third eldest of 10 children I didn't want my little sisters and my brother and um, that growing up in the same environment as, you know, what I did and what I was seeing for the children around me. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's so hard to imagine that level of, I guess, abuse number one. And there's a lot of adversity there, particularly as a young child. And obviously that leads into some of the work that you're doing today where, you know, around healing childhood trauma and and sharing your story in that sense. As a young child, going back to the, um, the scenario with your grandfather where he said, can you talk Mm. to that? Because I just feel like that's such a pivotal moment where you had done well and excelled in your school report. And then as a, (laughs) you know, on the flip side of that, you get crushed. And as a child, like those things stick with you and you've gone on to use those exact characteristics that he was bashing to build a phenomenal life and an impact. And so I find that really fascinating. Yeah. So what happened was, um, Every, every say, year, my grandfather would take the school reports and he'd read them in front of the whole community. Um, you know, and you'd be praised if you got a good school report and humiliated if you didn't. And that particular year, I'd gotten a great school report. Like my um, teacher, I, I was an A-plus student. Um, I was really dedicated to my schoolwork. I loved school. I was one of those kids that liked school. Um, and my teacher had said that Lily has got leadership qualities and I'd gotten a really good review. Anyway, my grandfather read this out at dinner and I was so excited. Like I thought I'm going to get like praised in front of all my friends and family. Like I was six years old at the time. So I'm like, this is the most important thing in my life. And then he said, well, we don't want women like this. We don't want women with leadership qualities. I just remember being like so embarrassed. Like Mm. my cheeks are burning and I just like my stomach dropped. I just felt so sick to my stomach that like there was something wrong with me that even the good things that I did weren't good enough. Mm. And so you think about how that affected me as a child growing up is nothing, nothing you ever do feels like it's good enough. 
Mm. Um, and so you grow up with extremely low self-esteem, not because you have low worth, or, but because of how the adults in your life whom you love and respect, how they've treated you mm. and what they've said to you. Um, and, you know, it's funny, after, well, interesting, after my grandfather did this at the meal and he would, he would like preach for like hours at a time. So he spent a lot of time just like grilling me in front of like everybody. And I, I went away and I was like, well, obviously it's my fault. Like, obviously I've done something wrong that he would do this, mm. you know? And as a child, you, you know, when you grow up in an environment like Gloria Vale, you tend to absorb all the wrong in the world around you as there being something wrong with yourself. Mm. When in fact, it's the environment outside of you that's not good enough for you. So such an important time though, like all your beliefs and everything are being built at that age. And so yeah. like one, how hard was it to, when you, you know, over the course of your life, having had that experience where all your beliefs are being built and everything around you that you're taking in from the adults around yeah. you is coming from that lens. How yeah, hard was yeah. it to find yourself outside of Gloria Vale? Like, because your identity would have been shaped so strongly around being the girl in Gloria Vale. Was that something? Yeah. Has that been one of the major battles in your life since leaving? It's interesting. Even my identity now as a writer and a public speaker has been around being the Gloria Vale girl. That's true. Yeah. And it's not something I'm ever going to get rid of because it's a part of who I am. Mm. Um, I know like what I struggled with when I came out was the fact that like I was from a completely different world and it was difficult to find people out here who could understand me. And so like you start to not tell people where you're from and every time you date somebody, like I would have to have the talk with them about my backstory, which was difficult and then I would always have to know no you know no matter often no matter what that person's been through they're never truly gonna understand what it was like for me growing up in that environment of course um and so that that part of it was really hard trying to integrate into a world out here and go well but I can't tell people about where I'm really from and this is hard I can't really be myself so part of writing my story was about owning that piece of who I am and saying, mm. this is a part of my identity. This has shaped me. It's created me. I was raised in glory of our glory of our made me. And now I have my own life because I've left glory of our, and I can get to make choices about who I want to be and how I want to be, what I want to believe, what I want to wear, how I do my hair, if I wear makeup or not, if I want to date a male or a female or something else, you know, like just having those choices has been massive for me, but also extremely scary. Mm. Um, I, yeah. Are you grateful for growing up in Gloria Vale in that case? Oh, you know what? Like, I think there's two sides to every story. Like with any experience, there's good things that you can take from it. And then there's the things that you hated or you wish didn't happen. And sometimes the thing you hate and wish didn't happen are the things that actually teach you lessons that you mm. need to learn. I think for me, I've just like really looked at how I can integrate my experiences into my today life rather than going, I'm not an abuse survivor. Gloria Vale's not a religious cult and living in denial. Mm. I've really looked at, at those things and tried to come to terms with each of them and bring them closer to myself and say, and sit with those and like ask myself how I feel about those. And I, you know, I did a 
talk last year at um, a women's breakfast and it was the first time publicly that I had said, I am an, an abuse survivor. Wow. And that's, I'm like, that's 10 years after leaving Gloria Vale. Mm. So I didn't even think Gloria Vale was, I, I couldn't come to terms that it was a cult up until, you know, I don't know, maybe five years after leaving Gloria Vale. I was like, it's, it's got cult tendencies. <laughs> There's something that you might think, well, of course it's a cult. Look at it. And I'm like, but no, it's just a Christian community. It's just how we lived. Yeah. Um, so those things, they take a lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of um, in, inner work, the, oh. hard, the, the hard shadow work side of spirituality that you don't often in the personal development industry, it doesn't want to, they don't want to look at that. Mm. You so know? Talk, talk to me about um, that then, because that's interesting. Mm. So yeah. like what, like what have some things been that have been the most helpful for you in terms of a acceptance? Cause that's a big one, yeah. uh, but also shaping your perspective because what you said there is really, really powerful for anyone mm. listening. Whereas you were like, you know, there was, it's that growth mindset of that. There's always something good in it. If you're willing to look at it and learn and take the awareness out of it and, and build from there, but to do it on that scale with kind of, I guess that level of, we'll say trauma, um, it takes a lot. Like it's hard. That mm. stuff's hard. What have been some of the key things that have enabled you to have that perspective or practices yeah. that you've done or people that have helped you along the way? Yeah. When I um, came out of Glory Vale, I um, did a bit of design work for some clients. I went to university. Um, I dropped out. I went to work in my parents' company. I ended up managing the company, got um, some really great business experience and really dove into the personal development industry and world at that point in my life. Mm. Um, and what I was noticing was like, there were so many good things about the personal development industry. Don't get me wrong, but there's a very much, uh, so often there's just a lot of spiritual bypassing that happens in the personal development industry. And a lot of, you know, that positivity culture, which can be extremely toxic because life isn't all positive. Yeah, and exactly. if you want to take only positivity culture, you're disregarding another side of life that we all live through. 100%. Um, so for me, it was really about like getting real and like looking at those hard truths about what happened to me, how I felt about it, going to therapy if that's what I need. Yeah. Um, and, and learning to think for myself rather than just hearing something, oh, that sounds good, I'll take that on board. And I think leaving Gloravel helped me develop that mindset of always questioning. Mm -hmm. Although I've been curious and a little bit, um, I've been like that since I was little. Like I remember one of the servants of the leaders at Gloravel, he was teaching us about baptism and he was talking to us about talking in tongues, yeah. which is when you know, talking in tongues, oh, no. yeah, break yeah. out into like a different language that you haven't learned. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like in this little baptism class, I'm like 10 years old. And I said, um, well, can you show us? And I asked him to demonstrate for us what that was, because to me, things have to make sense. And if they don't make sense, why should I believe them? Um, and a lot of it was like that when I left Gloryvale, I started to question the things that for a lot of my life hadn't made sense to me. I couldn't quite figure out um, that I was just taught to take on blind faith, which I now think is more like stupidity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so, um, I think the 
it, it takes a lot of courage though and a time and patience too to like really look at like the truth of what's happened to you and your you know your darkest trauma and accept it as a part of who you are and love that part of who you are mm. you know we talk about self-love on social media you know you want to love those parts of your body which are ugly that's kind of a bit what it's like but in a spiritual sense mm. it's those experiences in your past where you're like that makes me feel ashamed or worthless mm. but i'm going that's the bit that needs healing that's well you can't thing. ignore it there's no way you can't you can't turn a blind eye to all that because it is part of you yeah. And yeah. it's exhausting to try and pretend like it's not there. Yeah. It's like fighting like a raging river and trying to swim upstream. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. It's fascinating. What does self-love mean to you then? Because that's something that you talk about a lot. What, you know, that, that term is banged around a whole yeah. heap. Yeah. Isn't um, it? Massively. Like it's, it's a bit a, worn out. Self-love. It totally is. But what does that mean? in a deep sense what does that mean to you because you are yeah. i'm assuming that you know coming out having to rebuild your confidence massively uh understand who you were or create who you were and this new identity for yourself there's a yeah. lot of self-love involved in that whole process so what does that mean to mm -hmm. you now and and when you look out and look at the self-love movements and things like that what do you see yeah. as some of the key things that people can do to really empower themselves in that area yeah, I think um, to me, I love the term self-love. I think it's been maybe a bit overused though. So I like, prefer the term self-care and healing childhood trauma, those terms for me, because um, to me, self-care is about good medical care, good exercise, good food, mm. um, and you know, food for my mind as well. Medical care for me looks like taking myself to the doctor when I need to. Um, I wasn't taught how to properly care for myself. You know, I've got a um, saw hip at the moment because um, I had a snowboarding accident but um, and I took painkillers but in the past um, I wouldn't take painkillers because I'd think well you just need to toughen up you know <laughs> tough love is a crock of shit like it's not tough love that we need it's validation understanding like acceptance of who you are um, for me self-care is also about um, not holding myself up to the stigmas that I was raised with, mm. you know, stigmas against homosexuality um, and people who had different spiritual beliefs to me, you know, for, it's important for me to not like judge myself against those stigmas. You know, I'm a, I'm a bisexual woman and that's part of my identity now, but I thought there was something wrong with me for a long period of time yeah, right. because I was taught that was wrong and I was punished for it. So, um, I, yeah, that's what self-love is. That's acceptance mm -hmm. of who I am, what I've been through, how I am. Um, and also the patience and kindness towards myself that, um, I really need. And that takes me back to the child trauma side of things because when you've been treated like crap for a lot of your life you grow up treating yourself the same way and you've got to learn that you deserve better and that you have rights to good medical care you have rights to a partner who like listens to you you know it's mm. such a simple thing you have a right to say what you want to say um and why don't we do that be though? humiliated for that why don't we do that because a lot of people struggle in that area and I'll, mm. I'll speak 
you know, for myself there. I mean, I'm probably a, a lot of the time a too harsh a critic on myself and, and yeah. have that inner dialogue. But yeah, what, why are we so harsh on ourselves? And how does that work? What, what I'm really interested because you're obviously an ambitious person as well. Like, and so how do you balance that kind of softness and self-love and not the tough love side of things with striving and ambition? Because that's something I'm always mm. really fascinated with. Yeah. Um, I think it's about like to sort of answer your question is not buying into society's ideals of what happiness means and what a good life looks like Mm. because it is something that for each of us we have to define and it's so personal. It looks different for every single person. For some, it's um, writing a book and doing a TED talk and that's their you know, that's their idea of achieving a life goal. Um, But for others, it might be having a baby and getting married. And that's their idea of achieving a life goal. Um, For some, it will be money. And for others, it won't be. But often, we're sold these ideas on social media. Mm. um, And we basically, it's, it's propaganda. Like, we're, we're told that it will be happy once we make this much money. And for me, it's about looking at, um, well, I actually get happiness from like spending time with my little sister, Yeah, right. you know? Um, and if I have money, I'd rather, rather spend it on her. That would give me happiness. Yeah, right. Um, and you know, I, my happiness is defined by my creativity and, you know, doing art, writing, speaking, those are all creative outlets for me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're a way I express who I am into the world and, more than any monetary value that I receive for them. It's the first and foremost, the creativity that's my, my juice, you know, it's mm-hmm. the fuel in the tank. So I think it's really about having a clear idea about what happiness means to you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, one, one thing, I actually spoke about it on a podcast just earlier. So apologies if you're listening and you've heard this, but I think it's really valuable to the conversation is that the mm-hmm. framework, I did a course with Brendan Bouchard once. It was talking about the fundamental drivers of human happiness. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the major fundamental drivers of human happiness based on all high performance studies is creative expression. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so you've got challenge, novelty, creative expression, and social connection. And I feel like as adults, a lot of the time you sort of grow up as a kid and you're creatively expressing yourself like crazy. You're playing sport, you're painting, you're playing yeah. music, you're you're just like doing everything that's fun to you. And then you get to an adult mm-hmm. and it's like, for some reason you discard all of that stuff and get serious. Yeah. <laughs> but like you said, like the juice and the energy and that comes from expressing yourself. So it's such mm. an important thing for everybody to take on board. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, that same old keep your priorities straight. And that's, that's, that's real. That's real talk. Um, yeah, I think we're sold this idea of, of money being the goal. And mm. we're given timelines as well. Like um, we're also said, you know, after you leave school, you need to go to uni, then you need to get your degree, and then you've got to do this. And, and that's just like the, that's the rat race. Mm. Um, and I've just seen friend after friend after sibling like burn out on that mindset and that philosophy. Mm. Like that is not sustainable. And I'm super into like whatever is sustainable. My, my motto is whatever works for you. Yeah. Whatever works for you and also whatever works for the planet and the community and the people around you. Yeah, totally. Well, at the end of the day, the underlying thing that we're all just trying to get is, is achieve is happiness. And yeah. what, is, what does success mean to you then now? Like what does your version of success look like? Um, 
just living my life. Just like, living. I don't your know. Life. See, like success is an overused term as well. You know, like I like ask me what happiness means to me, and I'll easily tell you that. Um, success. What, is, what me does happiness be. mean to you? Then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, no, I'll answer your question. Like to me, what success is being able to pay my bills and feed feed myself well, and like that my family is happy. Mm. And that I have time to do the things that I love to do. Like, to me, that's what I would consider to be a successful life. Um, but also in the times of my life when I haven't had happiness in, a fa- in the family area or, you know, I've struggled to pay my bills, you know, I was still successfully going through those times. Um, I've, those times have been really important to shape me into who I am now. and. Um, so I don't think success for me is really a goal um, rather than a state of how I live my life on a day-to-day basis, you know? Mm. And what, what makes you happy then in that case? Like what are the key things that you implement into your life and around mm. your life? Is it, is it, you've talked about creative expression, but yeah. for you, what, what does that really mean? Is it just as simple as being, on, being able to have that honest conversation with yourself about who you truly are and then expressing that? Um, I think like, well, we've got all the different areas of life, right? So let's say um, success for me from a medical standpoint, from a well-being standpoint, would be making sure that I have my needs attended to. Mm-hmm. So medication if I need it, therapy if I need it, a doctor's appointment if I need it. Like it doesn't mean that I'm perfectly well. It actually means that I'm treating my illnesses. <laughs> so that's successful because I'm being there for myself. Um, from a relationship standpoint, success for me is ha- being able to have conflict and have it end in peace. Mm. Um, so it's not about having a peaceful relationship all the time so much as it is about being able to have healthy conflict. Mm. Um, success for me from a career standpoint would be being able to do work that I love and getting paid for it. Um, and then also being able to incorporate my art skills into my work um when i say art i include writing in there like i love writing Mm. so you know getting paid to write is awesome for me like i'm over the moon for that you know um and then i also have a part-time job where i do business systems analysis and i love that that part of my job as well like i work for myself doing that as a contractor and that part of my life is also I would consider that to be successful. Mm. So, yeah, I hope that answers. Yeah, your it's really interesting. I, I just, I feel like, um, like it's impossible. We're looking at, we're almost like treating symptoms a lot of the time. And this is something from mm. my own learnings where I'm like, you're, you're trying to find the next thing, whether it's the course or the, yeah. the happiness or the health or whatever. Right. But a lot of the time at the core of it is massive emotional suppression. Yeah. And, it's like, tell me if I'm wrong, but if you cannot express that stuff, if you cannot get it off your chest and men shocking at it, particularly here in New Zealand, mm. but if you yeah. cannot get that off that your chest, that weighs yeah. down on you so much. It carries yeah. so much energy and it's so hard to get the health and the vitality and the mindset and the mental clarity and the excitement about the future or whatever it is, if you're running away from and suppressing things, right? And that's yeah. the same with like sexual energy and stuff like that. But I feel like that whole energy side of things is a super important topic to talk about but it's not necessarily discussed that much no it's not and there's 
you know, a huge stigma against mental health as well. Mm. Um, being, I, you know, I was pretty much taught that if you were like mentally ill, it was the devil mm. and it was your lack of faith. So you're possessed. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we know that that's not the case. Like depression is a symptom of abuse is massive. Yeah. And then also depression is a symptom of the society we live in telling us that we need to be a certain way, that mm. we're just not. Um, so it's also not our fault that we're depressed when <laughs> we're constantly being held up against these unrealistic standards. So I've really tried in my life to set a standard for myself in terms of like, you know, I think we've got to rebel. We've got to rebel against the system and the way that it's run because it's not working for us. Mm. And when I say rebel, I don't mean it's not always grab a flag or, if I, you know, go out and yell on the streets. It's about, I'm not going to think this way or buy into this way of thinking because it hurts people mm. and it's toxic and it's not working for us. And when we can all sort of look at our way of life and change it based on how we change our mindset, because for me, that's what happened. I left Glory of I changed my mindset and I became a different person. Mm. And that's how transformation happens is first we have to change our beliefs and the way we see the world. Yeah. And so, how did how do you do how did you do that or how do you do that? Because again, mindset's thrown around a lot. Like change mm -hmm. your mindset. Yeah. What are the like What are the things that helped you in that area? Is that a case of repetition, painting a new picture, um, positive affirmations? Like, what does a shift in mindset actually mean to you? Yeah. Well, um, your mind. So, like, if like if we're talking about your like psychology we know that beliefs are built based on like something that's reaffirmed to us over and over again until a new neural pathway is created. And so we've solidified that belief. Yeah. Um, same thing works with new beliefs and breaking old beliefs. Mm. When you give yourself an experience that extremely contradicts and contrasts an old belief that you have, then you're telling or showing yourself or rather letting yourself experience in a visceral way, something that is completely different then the old belief has no choice but to start to disintegrate. And if you continue to re-experience new and novel things over and over again, you start to build new beliefs and your new beliefs will start to affect how you behave in the world. Um, so let's just, let's have a, like a physical example of this. Um, I was taught women shouldn't wear pants because men are the ones who wear the pants and women have to wear dresses. Right. Um, the first time I put on pants, it felt so weird. Like I remember my reaction, I stand in the mirror and I was like, holy, I can see my <laughs> ass like with these tight pants, like what the heck? And then I was kind of like, oh, okay. Got over that. Mm, I kind of look good. I like these pants. And I started to wear pants more often and more often. And now I wear pants every day if I like, yeah. you know? And so now for me, that belief that women shouldn't wear pants is completely broken yeah. and I have a new belief that women are able to wear pants and that new belief affects what I do in my life which is wear pants and it works the same with any belief that we have a spiritual belief a religious belief lifestyle belief whatever it is so it's, it is about reaffirming because I mean obviously you know neuroscience shows that we can completely rewire our brains mm. so uh, I'm interested a lot of um, and your take on particularly healing trauma and things like that, because yeah. a lot of, uh, I guess, older practices about going diving back into that. And yeah. um, 
I think in some instances people can stay there. They don't still get the tools to actually like create new belief systems and to actually move yeah. forward. Uh, what's the balance there for you? Like what's your experience around that? Do you, um, in order to move past that, is it just about painting a new future vision and living into that and, and creating those new beliefs or how much of it do you have to dive into that past stuff and actually, I guess, give that emotional release? Yeah. Whatever works for you. Whatever works for you. <laughs> I mean, for everyone, it's going to be different. Yeah. Um, but especially with trauma healing, it's very, it's very personal because each of our experiences are different. Um, and you might, might have heard of the term titration, which in therapy basically means dipping your toe in the, in the water. Mm. Um, I don't believe that at any point I will be this fully healed human being because that's not to me a realistic goal. Mm. What's realistic for me is to live a life in which my trauma and my pain and my wounds are integrated into the way that I live. For example, again, I have a sore hip, okay? I'm not going to do bodybuilding because it would be too hard on my body, you know? I'm going to go, okay, no, I've got a sore hip. Therefore, I'm going to do exercises like yoga, which are more appropriate for my injury. Trauma is essentially an injury. And when we treat it as such and we get proper medical care for it and we treat ourselves uh, and we care for ourselves through the recovery process, then, you know, that's, um, that's what we've, yeah, that's how we've got to be approaching it. Nice. Well, um, with the, you talk about purpose a lot, right? Mm. That's, that's a topic that you, what does that mean? What does purpose mean to you? Because, uh, is that like finding what, that's another topic that's banged around a lot. And I'm really interested. Yeah. You can find purpose in small things or big things, or yeah. you can chase one purpose your entire life. Yeah. What's your take on purpose? Probably what you said. <laughs> like it's a it's a mix of all of them. So I'm also a really big believer that there's room there's room for everything, right? There's room for purpose to be a bird singing on your front lawn in the morning. And there's also room for purpose to be your children and that's the driving force. Um for me a lot purpose has been being able to find out who I am, the discovery, the curiosity of like well, I've been a robot for most of my life. I've been a thing, an object, not a person. So who is, who is this girl? And mm. like, can I get to know her? So for me, that's been a driving purpose. And that's just going to be different for everybody. And it can be all of those things put together mm. as well. I don't think it's ever going to be one single thing that we can go, this is it. This is what purpose means. Yeah, no, I think I think that's one of the problems out there is that people are spending all their time chasing the one purpose and they right. could be finding purpose in the small acts and being yeah. living purposefully in doing that. You know? to totally, absolutely. Like, you know, if you wake up and your purpose for the day is to like remember to breathe, that's enough. It's yeah, exactly. totally enough. Um, it's also yeah. really empowering when you, when you come from that perspective. I remember one, like I was reading books on purpose a few years back and I was like trying to find the purpose and, and one of the books just mm -hmm. said like, you can find purpose in any little thing. And I, I had a, I was doing personal training at that time and I went out to do a personal training session. I wasn't wanting to go and do the work. I was like looking for my bigger purpose and yeah. was, was not paying attention to the good stuff that was in front of me. And then I read that little note in the book and I was like, fuck, I can go into this next session and just my purpose for the session for this hour is just to yeah. show up and be like the most 
inspired, connected, like present person that I could possibly be to help this person. And I'll probably feel awesome on the back of it. And I went and did it and just walked out like feeling so alive. And I was like, oh my God, it's that simple. Yeah. I love, um, so Danielle Laporte, she does, yeah. um, the, she calls them core desired feelings. Right. And instead of going, okay, my purpose is to make a million bucks. She's going, what do I, how do I want to feel? Like, what do I want my life to feel like? And it can be anything. It can be a color. Like if I, do I want my life to feel yellow or do I want it to feel warm? Like, how do I want to feel when I wake up in the morning? Do I want to um, feel excited? And that's going to be different for everyone. Like just for me, when I go shopping, like for me, when I buy a piece of clothing, I need to feel aroused, excited, like inspired by that piece of clothing. And I think that's, if we, we go back to how we feel in our body on a somatic level, then we're really getting a deeper sense of like daily purpose. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's an, it's a fascinating topic, but I just think, uh, what's your take on personal development overall? You touched on it before and I wanted to come back to it because uh, hmm. what, as an industry and just in personal development, I mean, what does yeah. that term mean to you and what's your take on it? Um. I think personal development is something that we, most of us will go through at some point in our life. Like it's just part of growing. Like a plot, like, you know, you plant a seed in your garden and it grows into a plant that growth could be considered personal development. Um, what I'm not a fan of though, you know, is planting a seed in the ground and then injecting it with GMOs and your hormones and all of that. And then it doesn't even become the plant that it was. It becomes something completely different and that's when we come back to authenticity is like, what were you when you were born? Like, who were you at your like most raw core, mm. you know? Um, and I think that there's something in that. Like people can get something out of that if they strip away everything that we're told we should be, all the external influences, and we go, what do I need to go? Grow, good ground, water, sun, rain. It's often life is a lot more simple than what we experience in the 21st century. Totally. That's super powerful though. We just said there, like re-listen to that part because that, that is a really powerful little nugget for people. I think, um, what do you, what, did you rebel hard when you first left? Like we, was it, was it something that like you had so much, you know, like <laughs> when people first get out of home and they go to college and then it's like, they were, if they had strict rules, they went out and just did everything. Did yeah. you go, did you go crazy, go off the rails for a bit there? Or what, like, what was that little period like? Nah, I was a good girl. <laughs> <Kind> <laughs> of. No, it depends. It depends what you consider rebelling. Like I tried alcohol, drugs, sex, like, you know, and I think those are actually important things to try in life. Hundred percent. Um, what I was happy with it is most of the time I was safe, but no one taught me what boundaries were. No one taught me what sexual consent was. Mm. I didn't know that I could say no if I didn't want to have sex. Like these are just like basic things that our children should be learning, but no one taught me that. I'm just glad now I can like chat to my siblings and friends about it to teach them like hey you know what like you're allowed to not do that if you don't want to if you're in an uncomfortable situation you're allowed to leave you have a right to that um so yeah i i think 
maybe my parents considered it rebelling because they're still conservative <laughs> Christian. Yeah, um, right. But for me, I was trying out the world that I found myself in and um, it was just a part of growing up. Yeah. So your parents left Gloria Vale at the same time. You guys all left together though. And so they still follow their Christian faith and how, I mean, how does that, so that work? Have they, is it, because it must be hard that you leave mm-hmm. that. I would have just assumed that you go and rebel, but your parents yeah. have stayed in that religion just in a different level well within every okay so within every religion there's basically different factions or subgroups within Mm. that religion like in christianity we've got fundamental christianity conservative christianity liberal christianity um new age christianity and each of those you know you you can't just look at christianity and say this is what christianity is yeah right yeah um and so you know my parents are much more now uh liberal christians yeah and I'm an atheist. So like it's often been difficult for me to understand why someone would retain um, a religious belief that made no sense to me. Mm. Um, And, you know, I've always respected my parents. I don't necessarily respect what they believe because I think it's silly Mm. Um, and it's illogical to me. So um, yeah, I think each of us like, coming out of glory Vale, and I've noticed with the others who have left glory Vale, some have kept their faith and others haven't. Um, and it's, I think that's a personal journey. Like for me, I say I'm an atheist now, but that's like 11 years of questioning, learning, figuring out where I fit in, what beliefs I don't want anymore, what no longer serves me, what I do believe. I mean, in some ways you could, call me like a partially like a Buddhist in terms of the things that I believe. Um, And there's some aspects of what I believe are agnostic as well. So there's not like one label Mm. that would really define my spiritual beliefs. Um, But those labels do help people to understand where we sit in terms of what we believe. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I just wanted to ask that question because I grew up in a Christian family as well. Mm. Well, my mother, my mother's Christian, um, but my brother and I uh, both, I guess, classify as atheists. And Mm. I just find it fascinating that you all left at the same time, but it's so different in terms of the beliefs that come out of that. It's really quite fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. What are you most, what are you most proud of? Oh, telling my story. And it's, it was so hard for me. but I feel like it's something in my life that I can look back on and feel so proud that I stood on that TEDx stage and I poured my heart out and showed the world who I was and that like I had the like ambition to write a book and that I actually sat down and typed it out with my own fingers and shed my, my very own tears on the, on the laptop. (laughs) You know, I just remember sitting there with like a box of tissues, like, the fact that I did that um, is something that I just feel really contented with that I have no regrets about mm. doing that. Yeah. And so what's the, with your work and moving forward and I guess taking your story and how far you've come in this 10 year period, mm. how far ahead do you think and what sort of impact are you striving to have down the track career wise and using your story? Cause like you say, it's part of you mm. it's, it's never leaving, but it's an incredibly powerful story that connects to so many people who need it. Yeah. What are your goals moving forward in terms of what you want to do with it and the impact you want to have? Well, I know what 
being able to tell my story and then work on my healing has what it's given me in life. I want to see that for others, you know, and I want to spread my story across the world. So that's why I come on podcasts, like speaking with you today. Uh, It's why I work on my Instagram. Um, And I want to be able to really help people who are wanting to do the same thing that I've done, take those steps because just having someone to guide you, it makes a hell of a lot of difference, you know, especially when you're confused and you're not sure where to go. Um, So that's my sort of career goal in terms of my work is in working with others and having social impact and influence um, is helping others to build their brands through their stories and um, what they've been through, turning their trauma into like something that's the best thing that's ever happened to them, you know? Yeah, totally. What When you look at young females, uh, mm. teenage, I think it's such an influential time and particularly for yeah, young young females in today's age growing up with social media and comparison yeah. and body images and all that. Yeah. When, you, when you look at that category in particular, what message do you have for them based on your learnings? Like what are the key things that you'd like to pass on? Yeah, it would, I would just say like don't compare. Don't compare yourself to something else outside of you like where you are is okay like where you find yourself is okay how you are is okay it's that again we're coming back to that self-acceptance the patience and kindness towards yourself you know these basic things the the love that you give others like find a way to bestow that on yourself Mm. um there's so so much expectation on social media i would just say don't live according to anybody's timeline just create your own and it's whatever works for you yeah that's so good what is what is the word freedom mean to you then because you talk that's another topic that you talk on and obviously early on um you know it was something that you didn't have a lot of so what is what does a life of freedom look like to you now to me freedom means having the choice just having the choice like i grew up as a girl with no choices about anything in my life And now I have the, I'm able to make choices and it's easy for me to make choices. Like I can get up in the morning and choose to put on makeup and I have makeup available to me and I'm not going to get like punished for that. That's freedom to me. Yeah. It's something, I think there's something in there for a lot of us though, because Mm. a lot of the time we've got, we, every choice we make, you know, but we, we feel like a lot of the time in life, like we're not in control and like, we have to go to this job or we have to do this thing. But at the end of the day, we all have that gift of choice. Yeah. Most of us. Most of us. So the people in Gloria Vale, they don't have that gift of choice. They Mm. don't have those basic human rights that most people are entitled to. And there's a lot of minorities throughout the world that don't have choices. Like there are plenty of people across the world who don't have a choice to get proper medical care if they need it. Mm. Like they either can't afford it or it's unavailable to them. Mm. So um, freedom truly, yeah, for me is being able to go, um, okay, if I want to date a man, I'll date a man. If I want to date a woman, I'll date a woman. If I want to um, go to the doctor, I'm able to go to the doctor and pay for it. That's really what freedom is. Mm. It's so simple, isn't it? It is so simple, but there's something in it. Like the the reason that I ask it is because there's something in it because I think we all have freedom available to us, but we act as if we don't. Like accessing it is something different. 
Yeah. Okay. So I went for a walk down the road um, last night and I came across these horses that were grazing in the fields down there, right? And they had fences marked out with this tiny fine tape. It was like just a little bit of plastic tape marked around their paddocks. And these are big horses, right? And they're just walking around. They're not going to go outside this tape, right? (laughs) And I was like, isn't this interesting that these horses, even though they could easily just knock that tape over and go outside, they stay within Mm. the confines because they've been taught that that is where they have to be. Yeah. And I think it's the same for a lot of us. You know, when I left Gloria Vale, I didn't suddenly come into the world and have, and just feel like I had all these choices because that little tape was still around me. Hmm. Even though I could have easily knocked it over, I was still taught that it's, I shouldn't knock it over or something bad would happen to me. I'd be hurt if I knocked it over. Hmm. So I was afraid. And I think a lot of um, my growth has been to face the fear. Um, to go, okay, I'm afraid because I've been taught that, you know, I shouldn't wear pants. Um, I'm afraid because I, I've been taught I shouldn't have a career and that's not appropriate for women. But I'm going to know that it's okay to have my fear with me while I run. Mm. Like, for me, it's really about been bringing that fear close to you and saying, you're a part of human existence. Mm. Having you here is part of, you know, my normal human experience. It's okay. I see you and I'm not going to live my life with you overshadowing me. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. A, a bit of courage and a bit of curiosity is, uh, is such an important part of life, isn't it? Like the, the yeah. ability to ask those questions like you've alluded to in this conversation, yeah. uh, which is what essentially got you to leave and then yeah. the courage to follow through. Um, I think, in general, whether it's starting a business, going out, changing career path, changing a relationship, yeah. that curiosity yeah. and courage to back it up is so important. Yeah. I've definitely like also like it's turning down the voices of fear. Like I have these little visual visuals when I'm like doing something that I'm afraid of or, you know, it's outside my comfort zone. And I actually have like we'll do visualizations in my mind where I'll take dials like volume dials wow. of my fear and I'll turn them down. Or have you ever been to time zone and they have those little, um, they're like little heads and they pop up out of yeah, the thing like you have to them bash down. them with the hammer. Yeah. <laughs> like that's for me, like that's my visual for my say anxiety when I, when it pops up cause I'm a complex PTSD survivor. Yeah. So like I'm anxiety is a normal part of my life, but it's not like it's there and I go, Oh, I see you, but I can knock you down too. Like, yeah. so I have these little visuals that tend to help me to get through the day as well. Yeah. So visualization is a big thing for you then? like that's Yeah. Massively. And I'm, quite a creative person. So that works for me. Mm. Um, but I think everyone will have their own, their own method that works for them too. Like, you know, I might say do this and it worked for me, but that might often not work for someone who's had a completely different experience to me. Yeah, I really love that, that, that comes through in your message because I think one of the problems I have with the personal development space is that it's a bunch of people telling you what to do all the time. Yeah. And, and the, in doing that and putting people on a pedestal, like they've got it sorted and we don't, and I'm going to do what they said, you lose the connection to trust and listen to yourself. Yeah. And I I really love the fact that you bring that through in your message because it's so fucking important. And it's the basis of empowerment, like trust yourself and, and 
and listen to yourself, you know? 100%. I spoke at a business awards and literally like that was my message was to trust your intuition. Yeah. Like um, don't believe everything that's happening around you and don't be afraid to do things differently. Um, you're absolutely right. Like every time that you're choosing to do what someone else tells you to do, you're essentially sacrificing your free thought or the way mm. that you would say naturally do it. I think organic growth is really important in the personal development industry is to go, how do I think I could get through this? And how can I use my creativity to overcome this? And yes, I can learn from teachers. For example, like my teachers taught me English in school and now I can speak fluent English, which is great. You know, but if I want to use English in a creative way, I do have to come back to myself and that source of creativity because we've all got it in us. Mm, totally. Yeah, I love that. It's super powerful. If there's one thing to take away, I think that's one of the main ones. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you had like just sort of coming, wrapping up a bit now, because we've been talking, I'll be respectful of your time. Yeah. But um, if there was, I mean, you've had a really fascinating life experience to date. And I want to acknowledge yeah. you for the way that you've used it to empower other people and what you've done, because I think it's, it's bloody awesome. Um, if you were to summarize your life in and out of glory avail through business, through growing up in the religious cult. Um, if you were to sort of pass on, I guess, three lessons that you think are the most valuable that you've learned, what would they be? Yeah. Uh, mm. I think one is to be um, open-minded. You know, you don't know what you don't know. Nothing's fixed in stone even though we want to think it is because it makes us feel more secure, things can always change. Like a belief that you, in Glory of Our, I thought my beliefs were like right and it was the one true way. And I came out of Glory of Our and I was like, wow, there's a lot of one true ways out here. So how do you pick between mm. them all? And I don't think you have to. I think that it's just to stay open-minded to take what you need and leave what you don't. Um, and to not think that you know everything. Mm. Um, yeah, that would be number one. Number two would be to be kind to yourself, whatever you're going through, because we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Um, and often what we need is just to like, we need a day off sometimes. It's just a day off. Or, you know, we need to do something for fun, not for work or because we've got to be somewhere or we're not good enough without it um and if you're wounded in whatever way you need time to heal so be kind and patient with yourself throughout that process um so it was two oh how we going with number three <laughs> um for number three i would say define your own happiness like and do it for you like, don't do it because someone told you that this is how you should do it in a personal development book, or this is what your mama says happiness means. Although even, you know, she might have it right, but it's always personal. So whatever works for you, build your life based on your own personal definition of happiness. Mm, I love it. Last question for you. What are you most grateful for? Um, at the moment, I'm just so grateful for my amazing partner who's just a light in my life. Lovely. There we <laughs> go. <laughs> hey, I just want to thank you for your time and acknowledge you. Like I said, you know, 
it's a super inspiring story. I came across your TED Talk years ago and I've followed you for a while now, but uh, I think we could all use some of the courage that you've displayed over the course of your life. Uh, and I love the messages that you put out there around empowerment, um, healing, and particularly around being kind to yourself. I think that's something that I'll take away and that we can all take away from this podcast. Um, uh, but I want to thank you for your time. And if people want to learn more about you, the work that you're doing, where's the best place to track you down? Instagram. I'm super active on Instagram, as you would have seen. Yep. Um, or you can get in touch with me via my website, which is first name, last name. So liliatarawa.com. Cool. I'll um, put, it, put it in the show notes and everything anyway. Yeah, yeah perfect. Awesome. Thanks, hey, thank, Jamie. It's been awesome you. chatting to you. Yeah, really nice to connect with you. And um, honestly, keep up the great work and, and keep backing yourself and keep sharing your message because it's super powerful. Thanks. Kia ora. So there you have it, guys. That was the interview with Lilia Tarawa. Uh, obviously a fascinating conversation. It's not every day you get to sit down and have a chat with someone who spent the first 18 years of their life in a religious cult. Um, lots of learnings in there, lots of valuable insights and reflections from Lilia. Uh, if you do want to learn more about her work, I highly recommend that you check her out. She's always uh, posting content on social media, like she said, Instagram in particular. Uh, or you can check out her website, which again was liliatarawa.com. Uh, so I highly recommend that if you've got value from the podcast that you go and learn more about her and her work uh, and as always if you're enjoying the podcast if you you know think there's someone in your network that would get value from listening in then please share it out uh, and if you're enjoying the podcast in general leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening in on uh, but just wanted to say thank you for joining thank you for tuning in for another episode and giving me your time uh, i hope it added value to you and i look forward to seeing you in the next episode